rather extensively a number of years ago. It's been probably two or three at least years ago since I've taught on it extensively. I believe I've taught on it twice now. And uh, I like to do it ever so often just to kind of uh, help with maybe some new folks that are here that weren't here before. And uh, also just by way of reminder, because sometimes we uh, just need to be reminded of some things from God's Word. And this is an important issue. Uh, it's something that for years I held a different position on uh, because it's the way I was raised. It was the way I had been taught. And uh, there were passages of Scripture that preachers would take and preach on them. And they would use these Old Testament, most of the time, Old Testament passages of Scripture to uh, teach us on this thing of, of, uh, of tithing. And um, last week we spent some time dealing with uh, what does the Bible say about it? And so a number of years ago, someone asked me about this and asked me if I would take some time to look into it. And I said, I'll look into it. And as we often do, when our minds are already made up and our doctrine is already set, uh, we have a hard time sometimes coming to Scripture and saying, what does the Bible say? Uh, rather than, uh, I know what I believe, and as I read Scripture, I need to try to, to make it all fit what I believe. And by the way, that's always the struggle. Uh, that is the issue of versions of Scripture that we have. Uh, one group of people looks at their doctrine and says, uh, we want to ensure that our doctrine is right. And if it comes from our Bible, then we must have a pure Word of God. One that is uh, infallible, inspired, preserved. And if we don't have that, then we can never be assured that our doctrine is pure. Another group of people say, well, we have our doctrine, we know what our doctrine is, and if the Bible disagrees with it, then we it's translation error, so we better go back and revise it and make it fit our doctrine. And we're of the mindset that since our doctrine comes from Scripture, uh, the Bible is our sole authority. It's the final authority. It's the one we go back to. And if our doctrine differs from what the Bible says, then our doctrine is wrong, not the Bible. Uh, and so these are things that I struggled with when I began to study this. And I, I committed to doing it, and it took uh, a number of months. I can't remember how many, I think maybe two and a half months or so uh, of looking at Scripture. Uh, it was a pretty extended period of time because I wanted to begin at the very beginning, go all the way through. And even though I tried to approach it uh, with the mindset that um, I'm, going to, I'm going to set aside what my, in, my inclination is on this, and I just want to see just what does the Bible say about it. I want to try to have an open heart and open mind about it. And even with that conscious thought, starting the study, uh, I caught myself the first week or so, maybe a week and a half, still finding verses of Scripture that didn't fit what we had been teaching. And I still was trying to find a way to explain those verses away. Um, that, boy, it could mean this, or if you, if you do this, you can massage that into place and get it. And I, I caught myself one day doing that and I thought, what am I doing? Why can't I just read the Bible, see what the Bible says, and let that form my doctrine? And, uh, and so it took a long time. And so I did not uh, change my position on this lightly, nor do I change any position of, of doctrine uh, quickly or lightly. Uh, in fact, even if there's some indication uh, of Scripture to, uh, towards a different way, I still won't change unless I can show dogmatically and emphatically and it is absolutely visible in Scripture. There's no refuting it. That's the point where I will say that I've, I've got to change what I teach and what I believe in. Tithing is one of those things. We've taught uh, that tithing is an obligation. We've even taught it to the point of um, if you don't tithe, that God will take it out on you. Uh, he'll chasten you for that. Uh, there have been preachers that uh, have talked about people's health issues being the result of the fact that they didn't tithe. Um, somewhere along the line, that doesn't line up with other portions of Scripture. Uh, the Bible talks about the fact that God loveth the cheerful giver. And, and I thought, well, how does that play into it? If, if I'm under threat of uh, physical ailment or if I'm under threat of the chastening hand of God, if I forget to, to write my check for 10% this month. And, um, and so we, uh, I, I went back in Scripture, and so uh, there's a couple of arguments that some people use to teach the way we teach today. 
One of them being, and probably the most notable one that I've come across when I've talked to other pastors about this, is they say, well, it was commanded in the Old Testament. We've not been told to stop it in the New Testament, so we should just continue it. Well, there's a couple of issues with that. Number one, if we're going to be doing it the Old Testament way, we're still not doing it right. Uh, We're supposed to be giving of our crops or our flocks. Uh, How many of you have crops and flocks? Okay. And even if we do that, we're to have 10% that goes to the Levites. How many of you have given your tithe to the Levites? Any of you done that? Okay. How many of you have given your tithe to... Some of you may say this, and you don't have to show your hand if you have, because I'm not looking for you to brag or anything. But the poor, the fatherless, and the strangers among us. That's the other tithe. And then there was a third tithe in the Old Testament we saw last week, and that was a tithe that was to be set aside so that your family could travel uh, for a festival that was held. It would be like going on a family vacation now, uh, or maybe to maybe a Bible conference or something that would be enjoyable for you and your family. And it was a celebration. And what they were doing was celebrating the deliverance of God after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And they were to do this every three years. <coughs> So if we were to tithe according to the Old Testament, we would have to be setting aside 30% of our flocks and our crops and giving it to one-tenth of it to, uh, or 10% of it to the Levites. So we'd have to send it all overseas, probably, unless we could find a Levite here in the United States. We would have to spend uh, uh, the tenth of it and give our our crops and our flocks to the poor, the widows, the fatherless, uh, and the uh, strangers among us, which the strangers were people who had uh, were not Jews born, but had become a part of the Jewish nation, and they did not have an inheritance. They didn't have land, uh, and so they were to take care of those folks. Uh, and then the other one being, uh, you got to take your flocks and your crops, sell it, take the money, go on the week-long or however long it was, uh, festival that celebrated the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, and it was at a place where God would tell them to do it, which most of the time was in Jerusalem, uh, so we would have to do it for that. So we'd have to travel to Jerusalem. We'd have to celebrate the 40 years of... So that was what tithe was. Uh, so again, we're still not doing it according to the Old Testament, even the way we teach it today. Um, th- th- there's, there's a lot of issues with, with regards to this. Um, the second part of it being that we often teach that you're supposed to uh, tithe on your income, uh, all that comes into your hand. And I've heard preachers uh, teach on, and I'm going to give, use this as an illustration here a little bit, uh, the widow that had the two mites, you remember that story? Uh, and gave all that she had, and you know, sacrificial giving, that kind of thing. But the second issue that there is, not only are we not tithing the way that we were supposed to tithe in the Old Testament, but there were three types of laws that were given. There were moral laws that God gave. Uh, many of those are found in the Ten Commandments, and others that He gave throughout the Old Testament that, that pertain to all men. They deal with the morality of a holy God. Uh, the second one uh, was a civil law. It was given for that particular day uh, for the theocracy that the nation of Israel was under. Uh, do we live under a theocracy today? We're not under a theocracy. For civil laws, we now are under uh, a, a republic, a democratic republic. And uh, we, as we find in the New Testament, we're to follow those civil laws as much as it does not contradict Scripture. Um, and then the third, problem, the third type of law was ceremonial law. This was given to the nation of Israel specifically for the purpose of worship and for the purpose of identification that they were the children of God. Uh, the issue of tithing was a ceremonial law. It was something they were to do uh, when it came to the thing of going to the festival. The other two tithes, the one to the poor, the widows, the fatherless, and the strangers, and the one to the Levites, works part of their civil law under the theocratic rule of God. Uh, so again, we're still not under those things. Uh, not to mention, we're no longer under the law, but under grace. And I've heard people say, well, does that mean we just throw away all the laws of the Old Testament? No, the moral laws still stand. We're talking about the ceremonial laws of Israel and the civil laws that don't pertain to today. Now, a lot of times we use, and America did do this in the founding days of our country, they went to the Scriptures and they based a lot of our civil law on the civil laws that were given in Scripture. But we weren't bound to them. 
They were good ideas. They were things that helped us fulfill the moral laws of God in many cases. Um, but they're not, they're not things that we were restricted to or bound to because we weren't under that law anymore. And uh, so, again, this is kind of where we ended up uh, last week. There were three uh, tithes that were given. There was the feast tithe. This was the Feast of Tabernacles, again, commemorating 40 years of wandering in the wilderness of God's deliverance. And that was something that was to be spent uh, on the, the travel to and from and to enjoy the festival. Uh, in fact, the Bible said anything their soul lusteth after. Uh, and again, not talking about immoral lust, but things that they desired. If they wanted to eat food and they wanted to drink drink and they wanted to see the sights, that's what they used it for. Uh, so they could use it for whatever it was. Um, the second one was the Levitical tithe. They were to give it to the Levites because, again, the Levites served in the temple. They did not have an inheritance in the land. They couldn't raise crops. They didn't raise flocks. And so they uh, would rely on the Le- Levitical tithe. Even the Levites were to tithe off of what they received to the high priest because, again, the high priest did not have uh, a specific way. So they were to give a tenth of their tenth to uh, the high priest. And then the third one was to the strangers, which we already told you what that was, the fatherless, the widows that are within thy gates. And they were to do this every three years. So that's what, that's what, uh, that's what it is not. That's what tithing is not. Um, so does that mean then that we don't have to give? Well, no. God tells us a lot of teaching on what we're supposed to do after Calvary. And uh, so let's, we're going to start in Matthew chapter number 1, or chapter 6 and verse number 1. Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 1. Now, I'm going to start with how we're to give uh, in this sense, and Jesus is teaching on this. He says, Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them, otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest thine alms, let not the left hand know what thy right hand doeth. And uh, so I, I was uh, kind of read that, and I thought, well, how does that fit with passing offering plates in the church? And again, I'm not going to go out and tell some other church they're doing it wrong, but when I came here, and I had not ever thought of this before, our church already had an offering box in the back, back, and they didn't pass an offering plate. And I asked our former pastor, Brother Andy, who was my pastor, and I said, why do we do that? Because I'd never been in a church that did that before. And he said a fellow had come to him and asked him about these verses. Uh, and it's hard to do your alms in secret when everybody in the church, there's an offertory being played, and the purpose is forgiving. You're passing that plate down the aisle, and everybody sees whether you put something in or not. They may not know the amount, but they see that you're either giving or not giving. And he said, we kind of didn't have a good answer for that, so we decided to put an offering box in the back. And that's, if you wonder why we do it that way, that's why we do it that way. Uh, so, you know, important that we do things a biblical way and to, to do things. But one of the things that is understood here uh, in the book of Matthew is that uh, there, is, there is the implication that he says, when uh, you do your alms, and he's speaking that, um, or he makes the, the, it's just implied or understood that there is to be giving. In verse number one, he says, take heed that you do not your alms before men. Uh, and therefore, verse number two, when thou doest thine alms. So it's not an issue of should we give or should we not give. It's a matter of when we do, this is how we should be doing it. Uh, we need to do it in secret. We're not doing it to pat ourselves on the back. The... Uh, I mentioned a few moments ago the issue of um, the widow that had given her two mites. And uh, I don't know if I have that passage here, Andy, or not. But if you'll take the time to look that one up, and I didn't bring that one with me today uh, because it really wasn't part of our tithing. But I do want to say this. A lot of people say, well, um, the widow gave her two mites, and Jesus said... Uh, she had given all that she had, or her whole living that she had. If you'll take the time to read the passage, the end of the previous chapter, and that story is at the top of, of a new chapter. If you read the previous chapter, it's Jesus is condemning the Pharisees for being ravening wolves devouring widows' houses. In other words, they were putting an undue burden on these widows 
And widows in that day, uh, they couldn't earn their own living. They had to live off of their family and, um, or marry someone. And so either the, the, the New Testament church was to take care of them after Christ died on Calvary and the church was established, or they were to, if they were young enough, they were to remarry and their husband was to care for them. And uh, so they, weren't, they, they had no way to live. And, and we use that passage, and we've taught for years, well, we ought to give like the widow. If you'll take time to read the passage, Jesus never commends her for what she did. There's no, there's no commendation. There's no way that God is saying, or that Jesus was saying, you ought to go and do the same thing. What He was doing was showing. He was sitting there as He's teaching these, um, these Pharisees about their, their undue burden of requiring a certain amount of money to be given. Uh, and saying, you're ravening wolves, you're devouring widows' houses. And as he's teaching this, he watches, and this widow lady goes into the temple and puts her last two, uh, uh, her last two uh, things of, of money into the uh, temple, and, and she had given all of it and, and sacrificed all of it. And you won't find in there any type of Jesus saying, boy, she did a good thing, or you ought to go do the same thing. He's just making an observation, saying, look, you've just destroyed this widow lady's life. She has no way of making a living now. Uh, more than likely, she's going to just end up dying soon or ending up in the debtor's prison because she has no way to make a living at this point. And you've put an undue burden. You've been ravening wolves, uh, devouring widows' houses, putting an undue burden uh, upon them. From the time of Calvary on, and well, really from the time of Christ when He rides on the scene and forward, you will find that there is no positive thing uh, being said of Old Testament tithing. Uh, Jesus does not refer to it in any positive sense or any good sense uh, from the sense of uh, Old Testament standpoint. Uh, He does talk about tithing uh, to the Pharisees, and he criticizes them uh, because they had distorted that. And So we're going to look at a few of these things. Let's, Let's see what the Bible does tell us in the New Testament about um, about what we should give. So let's start in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter number 5. And uh, let's look down. Um, let's start in verse number 16. <clears throat> This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit... Now that's a very important phrase, and we're going we're to understand that this is the key to our New Testament giving now on this side of Calvary. He says, but if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the... what? The law. Okay, what law is he speaking of here? Is he talking about the moral law? No. He's talking about the ceremonial law, uh, some of the civil law, and very important to understand this. Um, So, we're to be led by the Spirit on this side of Calvary. We're to walk in the Spirit. Look with me in Romans chapter number 12. We're going to look at a lot of Scripture here real quick. And... um, See if we can get this nailed down real well. Romans chapter number 12. Let's begin in verse number 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the portion of faith. Or if ministry, let us wait on our ministering. Or he that teacheth on teaching. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation. I'm going to stop there for a moment. God gives different gifts to different people. And he talks about this thing in verse number uh, 8. He says, He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. This is in a list of things that God lists as, or Paul is speaking here, of gifts that God gives. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence, let him show uh, uh, diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. And so again, he's dealing here with a list of things that God has enabled certain people to do better than others, perhaps. And so you have a gift that is referred to here as a gift of giving. Uh, Not every person has the same gift in this area as others do. Some are able to give very well. 
um, and we call it uh, you know, philanthropy today. And uh, when a Christian is involved in it, then we are to do it as the Holy Spirit leads, and we're to do it with simplicity. Uh, we're not supposed to get out here and try to laud ourselves or pat ourselves on the back or um, make it apparent that uh, I'm giving all this money and uh, trying to deal with it that way. We're to do it with simplicity. Our giving now is a spiritual gift. It is not an action that is determined by um, figuring out a percentage. Um, let's look in Acts chapter number 2. Acts chapter 2. And uh, here's the early church, just after Christ has ascended from heaven. Acts chapter 2, and verse 44 will begin. Acts chapter 2, and verse 44. And all that believed were together, and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need, and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking of bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So in the early church, a lot of their giving was when they saw a need. And sometimes if there was a... a, a and you got to remember, a lot of these people were being persecuted for the cause of Christ. Many of them were being cast out of their family. Many of them were, uh, they had apprenticeship type of a structure in, in their jobs. And so a lot of people were um, losing their, what we would call employment today, their apprenticeships, and not able to make a living. Uh, they were shunned, if you will. And so the way that they would survive was the people in the church would come together. They would see that a brother or a sister in the church had a need. And they would do what was necessary to do that, maybe sell some stuff. If you remember, how many of you remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira, the two that were struck dead? Uh, if you'll remember that story, uh, there just before that, the Bible talks about the fact there had been many that were uh, selling these things and doing this type of thing and giving to the poor. And uh, they, they wanted to be considered that, that those part of that group, and so they went and sold uh, a piece of land, and they had it in their hand to do whatever they wanted to with the money, and they came to Peter and they laid it down at Peter's feet, just part of the money, and God, God struck them dead. The Holy Spirit struck them dead. And what He struck them dead for was not the fact that they didn't give all the money. And we get that confused sometimes. They, they could have, when it was in their hand, and they could do whatever they wanted to with it, it was, it was within their power. The Bible even says that. But what they did was they came to, the, to, to Peter, and because everybody else was giving a lot and giving sacrificially, they came to Peter and said, we sold this land and we gave all the money to you, and they hadn't given all the money to them. What God struck them dead for was not giving all that they had. What God struck them dead for was uh, for uh, lying to the Holy Spirit to try to say, yes, we did give it all, and they had not given it all. Now, by the way, not everything in the book of Acts can you build a doctrine on in that aspect, because... God doesn't always strike everyone dead that lies to the Holy Spirit. And aren't we glad of that? Um, but He does show us through this story of Ananias and Sapphira the severity, how strongly He feels about this thing of lying to the Holy Spirit, trying to deceive. And the fact that God knows our hearts. He knows these things. So this was the early church. They were giving all that they had. Look over in Acts chapter number 4. Acts chapter number 4, and um, let's go to verse number 33. <clears throat> Acts chapter 4, <coughs> excuse me, and verse number 33. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and bought, brought the prices of things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, 
and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a certain man named Ananias and Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back, here it is, part of the price. His wife also being privy to it and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not in thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart, that thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God? And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down, gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all them that heard these things. And I've heard people teach on this that the reason God killed him was for not giving everything he had. Um, I was teaching this lesson a number of years ago, the very first time I ever taught it here. And after the, after the service, I had a lady that was here uh, walk up, or come up to me and, uh, and said, Well, I, I don't know that I can hold to that. I've tithed all these years and God has blessed. And I said, Well, I would expect so. Because anytime you give, God's going to bless it. Uh, whether it's you feeling like you're under tithe. I said, What I'm trying to say is we're not under that obligation. We're not under that bondage, if you will, to do this. Uh, that we're to give now... As the Holy Spirit leads us, by, by the grace that's been given to us, we're to be gracious to others in this area. And she said, well, let me give you an illustration of this. And I said, okay, that's fine. And she said, my granddaughter is getting ready to go to camp. And she asked if she could come and do some work for me and earn some money for camp. So she came and spent a Saturday doing some work, and she got $20 from her grandmother. And her, her, her grandma was talking to me about this, and she said, now, a few weeks ago, uh, she hasn't gone to camp yet, but a few weeks ago, she came to me and said, we're having a missions conference at our church, and I was in the missions conference the other night, and I would like to give that $20 I earned to the missionaries. Are you okay if I do that? And she said, yes, that'll be fine. And so she gave the $20 to the missionaries. And, and the lady that was talking to me about it said, and now her, now her camp bill is fully paid for, as if to make the point that, because her granddaughter tithed on that money that God had blessed it and she now her can't pay for it. I said, but she didn't tithe. And she looked at me kind of funny and I said, if she had tithed, how much would she have given? What's 10% of $20? $2. I said, so the illustration actually just kind of proves the Bible principle of the New Testament Giving as the Lord leads and giving with grace. You give what you're supposed to give, when you're supposed to give it, to the right place and to the person you're supposed to give it to. And I've heard preachers say, well, it ought to always come through the local church. I think there's a time and a place that the local church can help be the conduit and get it to go out. But I'm going to tell you something. If you've got a neighbor that's in need on a Tuesday... You don't have to wait till Wednesday night to bring it to church and give it so we can write a check and help your neighbor out. The New Testament giving, they did it daily. Now, I'm not trying to be anti-local church. I'm very local church. But when it comes to our giving, it's not always having to be done through the local church in order to be biblical. Uh, very, very important that we understand these things. There's a couple of problems, I think, also with tithing the way that we did, and I'm, I'm probably not going to finish all my notes here, but I'll give you as many as I can. And if we have to delve into it a little bit next Sunday, we will. But um, when, we, when we tithe the way that we have been taught to tithe over the years, the way I had always been taught to tithe and had been raised to tithe, there's a couple problems that happen. Number one, I never make it a matter of prayer. I never get up, when I tithe the way that I was taught to, I would wake up on Sunday morning, get my checkbook out, and write my 10% because that's exactly what I'm supposed to do every week, and I never prayed about my tithe. Never prayed about it. Just what I have to do. It, it became rote. It became habitual. There was no joy in writing that tithe check after the first few weeks of being saved and realizing, boy, I get to give to the Lord, there's not a lot of joy in that because I've, I've been taught if I don't do it, God's going to get you. 
when we give the New Testament way, because we're not under the law anymore, we're under grace. Now, every week, I begin to say, Lord, what would you have me give this week? What need is there this week that I can help provide? And I'll be real frank with you. Sometimes it's less than 10%. But I've found this to be true most of the time. It is more than 10%. And the interesting thing is, even if it is, and even if it's a, a large sum or a large percentage of what God had given to us this week, it's done with joy because you know that this is what the Holy Spirit is leading you to do. And you give it with joy, and all of a sudden it makes sense. The Lord loveth a cheerful giver. All of a sudden it makes sense that I can give, and I don't have to be under obligation to do it. I can be led by the Spirit to do it. And I can give what He expects me to give, when He expects me to give it, to the place that it needs to go. And oh, there's such joy in that. I'm going to tell you, it has been amazing since I have changed my outlook on this. I, my, whole, my whole mindset towards giving has, has completely been transformed. And I've never had so much fun in all my life. Now, I'm not talking about it necessarily being fun, but there's joy in doing it. And what an amazing thing it is. Let's look also in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And again, Paul teaches a lot on this. Second <coughs> Corinthians chapter 8. Let's look in verse number 10. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse number 10. And herein I give my advice, for this is expedient for you. Now, the word expedient um, is, it, it, is the idea of it's beneficial. Um, in fact, oftentimes uh, in, the Old Te- in, in the New Testament times, back in Paul's day, and, and if you'll notice, Paul often will use terms and, and expressions regarding uh, athletic events. I've run the race. Uh, he that runneth the race and, and, and things about this. Uh, he's not crowned except he run the race lawfully, all of these types of things. The, the word in the New Testament time that was uh, used here was often used to mean if you had like a a home field advantage. It it gave you the edge in the competition. It was beneficial. Uh, It it tended towards victory. Uh, And that was the idea of this. And so he he talks about this, and he says uh, in in verse number 10, And herein I give my advice, for this is expedient for you, who have begun before not only to do but also to be forward a year ago. Now, therefore, perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which ye have. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to uh, he hath not. For I mean not that the other men be eased and ye burdened, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want that their abundance also may be a supply for your want, that there may be equality. And so I want you to notice this in verse number 12 is the key phrase I want you to see. He's talking here about giving to those that are in need, and then in times of your need, they can in turn give to your need. But I want you to notice verse 12 because I think this is the key to it. He says, For if there be first a what? Willing mind. A willing mind. Not obligation. We are to give now of our will that is led by the Holy Spirit of God. There's a willingness to give, not a command that we must follow. Look in Acts chapter number 11. Acts chapter number 11. Acts chapter number 11, and let's go to verse number 27. And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch, and there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be great dearth 
throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. So there's going to, there's going to be a recession, if you will, in today's terminology. Okay, great dearth. Then the disciples, notice this, every man what? According to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea. Were they under obligation to? No, they determined of their own free will. And as they were able to. I've heard preachers get up and preach, and, and I'm going to make a statement here. And it's, I know it's going to be on Facebook. And I've been in conferences where they have taught this. But faith promised missions giving is not in Scripture. Now, is it wrong to make a commitment to missions? No. Is it wrong to give generously to missions? No. But it is not taught, nor is it commanded in Scripture. And I'm going to say this carefully, and I know when I do, there's going to be even some friends of mine that I've talked with them about this so they know. When we dealt with Faith Promise Missions a number of years ago, when I first heard it coming out, I thought that's the same thing that the Word of Faith and the Pentecostal people have been doing for years to say, just go by faith and give. Plant your seed, and God will give you a hundredfold in, in abundance. And I know that we try to tweak it and make it sound like it's not quite that, but that's really what it is. Now, I'm not downplaying giving generously to missions. I'm not downplaying saying uh, that I'll do what I can as the Lord prospers me. But the idea of faith promise missions giving, I don't think, is ever taught in Scripture anywhere that I can find. And I know that that goes against the grain of some folks. Uh, but we're to give as we're able, and we're to give of our will as it is led by the Holy Spirit of God, as He lays it upon our hearts to do so. Then the Bible says, Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. I've got a couple of uh, just statements here I'm going to give you. Um, Spirit-led giving, which is what is taught in the New Testament, Spirit-led giving will cause us to regularly seek God's will in the matter of our giving. It will drive us to prayer. And by the way, when you look through the Scriptures and you find everything else that, that he deals that Paul deals with mostly about the Christian life, it is always to walk in the Spirit, follow the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. Because now on this side of Calvary, we have been given the Holy Spirit of God to indwell us. And He is now our guide. He's the one that is our teacher. He is the one that shows us the way. He's the one that leads these things into our hearts uh, as we read Scripture. Number two, the Spirit-filled, or Spirit-led giving causes us to seek the welfare of others. Tithing does not. Number three, Spirit-led giving has no constraint as to the amount. Spirit-led giving has no constraint as to the amount. I'm not so much worried about people giving less than what tithing demands. I think sometimes we tithe and don't feel like we should give any more because, hey, I did my tithe. What if the Holy Spirit intended for you to give a lot more? Because it met the need. Number four, the Spirit-led giving does not constrain to whom or where we are to give. Spirit-led giving does not constrain to whom or where we are to give. Now, obviously, there are some limitations to that. It would never be God's will for us to give intentionally to something contrary to His Word. But other than, and of course, again, I think this statement still holds true. Spirit-led giving, uh, He would never lead us to do such a thing. But anyway, just wanted to clarify that. Number five, Spirit-led giving brings way more joy. Way more joy. There is a freedom in giving as the Spirit leads. Number six, Spirit-led giving allows us to exercise our liberty in Christ. It allows us to exercise our liberty in Christ.
All right, I'm going to give you a couple of other just observations. Many non-Christians, they also tithe to their false gods. Uh, some of them it's the lottery. Some of them it's uh, alcohol or some kind of worldly entertainment. Uh, but non-Christians tithe to their false gods, and this holds true in a lot of um, a lot of what we would call cultish religions, even some that we wouldn't necessarily call cults, but are not teaching doctrinally correct Christianity. And they, they demand a tithe as well. Enforcing a minimum amount on your religious believers is nothing unique. It's something that's been in existence for even since before the time of Christ. What is refreshing and new uh, about grace giving or, or being giving by the Holy Spirit is our ability to give without being required to do so. There's a great joy in doing that. So, as I was studying this, and, and I have, I've only given you a, a, a fraction, I, I can't give in two 40-minute sessions uh, six, eight, ten weeks of study that I've done on it. Uh, but then my next question was this. I'm going to leave you with this. As I got to this place, I realized... In the New Testament, we're, we're told to give by grace. We're told to give as the Holy Spirit leads us. And that's what's being taught now in the New Testament. Um, then I began, to, I began to have this question. How could I have gone most of my life being taught this? Where did we go wrong? Where did we, where did we come off of the, the path of sound doctrine in this matter? And so I started to research a little bit of that. And I thought, has this been taught since the time of the apostles? When, when did this type of teaching on tithing happen? And so I went back and started reading a lot of the older uh, religious writings from men that were what we would call the church fathers, people that were older. I will say this, uh, and I'm not just trying to be super ultra-critical of Catholics in general, but the Catholic Church began teaching this way, way back, way back. Um, and again, they put, the, they put the burden of tithing uh, on their people. Uh, this would have been back even prior to the Middle Ages. Um, their, their goal and their desire was to become, especially in that time, to become more powerful than the king. They wanted to have the wealth and the influence to do it, and they did. So it had been along the lines of the Catholic Church for, for centuries. I was watching and reading a lot of literature uh, as, I, as I went through on uh, fellows that what I consider to be doctrinally sound. They would hold to uh, Baptist distinctives, Baptist doctrine, and read a lot of their writings back in the 1700s, the 1800s, and coming into the early 1900s. And as far back as I could read, I never found tithing taught the way that we normally teach tithing today. It wasn't in their writings. And what I found was they were teaching giving as led by the Holy Spirit. The first instance, the earliest instance I could find, I found one fellow who was, he was not a Baptist in name, but was Baptistic in his doctrine and in his, in his uh, distinctives. I found one person... And it was 1896 uh, when the book was pub or the writing was published. 1896, and he had a lot of influence in his life from the Catholic Church. And so I don't know, and I can't. I, I didn't know the guy. I never met him because he was uh, so far back. And that was the only writing I had of his to compare. Uh, but it seemed like he probably got his his position from the idea of the fact that the Catholics did this. The rest of the, the, I started seeing the trend of Baptistic ministries and Baptistic men. They began to teach this doctrine of tithing the way we've taught it recently in recent years, that you have to do 10% of everything you earn, and it has to be uh, every week, and it has to be to the church, and if not, God's going to get you if you don't do it. And that seems to be kind of the consensus of it. That began to be taught in the, in the teens of the 1900s. Um, 1912, 1915-ish, somewhere in that range. And it started seeing smatherings of it in that area. And then as it progressed, it, it became almost very prominent by the time you were getting to the 1930s. And I thought, 
That's interesting. What, what accelerated this doctrine or this teaching in Baptist churches? And then I got to thinking, well, there was something going on during that time period historically here in the United States. The Depression. And since nobody owes a church anything, I imagine a lot of churches were struggling financially. Now, I cannot say that this was their motive, but it just seems ironic that during the time where the society was going through such a, a dearth, is what the Bible referred to it as, that rather than coming to the church and saying there's going to be a dearth, would you all pray about meeting the needs? They instead realized there was a dearth and said, you better start giving your 10%. And if you don't, you're disobeying God. You're robbing God. God's going to get you. He's going to punish you. He's going to chasten you. And really kind of putting people under the thumb to give. And that doctrine is held and propagated for the last hundred years or so. Um, And I was disappointed when I saw that. Because I grew up for years... Uh, being taught that 10%, you've got to give it to God. You have to give it to God. Can I tell you this? Don't limit yourself to that. Spend some time saying, whenever you get something, I don't care if it's your paycheck, I don't care if it's somebody gives you a gift, say, Lord, what would you have me do with this? He may not tell you to do anything with it. Put it in the bank. Go, go out to eat with it. But he may say, there's Brother So-and-so over here. He's really struggling right now. Or he may bring somebody across your path that you don't even know. And he'll lay it on your heart and say, you need to do this. I, I changed my position on this. It's been probably five years ago now, six years ago, close to that. And I will say this. For the last five years, the absolute joy that I have had in giving... Was un, has been unbelievable. Way more. I, I never had joy in giving before. I never. I, when I would write my tithe check, there was no joy in that. I just was doing it because it was supposed to be done. And God has done amazing things. Amazing things. I've shared with some of you uh, just amazing things that God has done. And I'm looking forward to seeing what more He's going to do. Because when we give God's way, according to Scripture... It'll always meet the need. And uh, I've shared things before where uh, I've, helped, I've helped somebody and I got something in the mail that was mailed five days before that need was even there. That's what God can do when you let the Holy Spirit lead you in it. He'll find a way to make that need met. And oftentimes He can use you to meet that need. So be sensitive. Pray specifically, Lord, what would you have me give? Where would you have me give it to? Be open to helping people out. Uh, Finding where the needs are. Sometimes the need is the church. Sometimes it's a neighbor. Sometimes it's a friend. Sometimes it's a family member. Sometimes it may be a complete stranger. I know I'm going over, but I'm just going to go over for this. And I, I hate sharing any kind of personal illustration on this. This happened a number of years ago. But I was driving from here to Virginia towing a trailer behind me in a, in a 250 diesel pickup truck. And as I, you know, on diesels, you don't want to let them run out of fuel. If you do, you end up in a mess. It's hard to get them started again. And I'm getting in the middle of this, this stretch of road where exit after exit, there were no gas stations, none that had diesel. And I'm panicking because we're getting down under a quarter of a tank, which I'm never, you're never supposed to let it happen. And finally, I see a sign up ahead that said diesel, and it had it on the sign. And I thought, and, I, and I'd driven all night. I'd been all night through the night, and I'm tired. I want to get to my destination. And, uh, and I'm still driving. It's early morning, early morning hours. And I pull in a gas station, or I pull off this exit, and uh, it said gas to the right. So I turn to the right, and it's a little two-lane road, and I start driving down this road, and I don't see any buildings. And I'm driving and driving and driving, and about about 10 or 12 miles down this two-lane road with no place to turn around. I had a big 20-foot trailer behind me in the truck, and there was no place to turn around. I'm getting anxious. I'm thinking, I'm going to run out of gas here. 
And I was praying, Lord, why did you have me get off on this of all the exits? Why weren't there exits before this? And 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 I'm I'm getting mad at God almost. You know, everybody anybody ever done that way? You get frustrated, you're tired, it's aggravating, and you're like, oh. And uh, I finally come into this place, and there's a, a gas station. Where I pull in, and I'm bleary eyed. I've been up twenty some hours, and I'm uh, I, and I pull into the pump, and I, I start filling up with gas or with diesel. And uh, I'm sitting there, and I'm almost done. And a young lady, probably in her 20s or 30s, walked around and was standing about, oh, maybe 15 feet away from me. And just was standing there, kind of looking at me, pumping this gas. And I thought, that's odd. And I'm not looking over at her. I'm just trying to mind my own business. And I mean, that's odd. And so I finally finished. And I, I put the handle up. And she said, excuse me, sir. And I turned around and she said, uh, could you help, help me? And I know, I know that there are times that people are con people. And they, they con you for this stuff. And she was sitting there crying. She said, uh, my husband and I, and uh, he was inside the store trying to get uh, somebody in there to help. My mother died, and we we're on the way to the funeral. And we thought we had enough money to get there, and our car used more gas than we thought. And we're, we're so many miles away. Can you help us with a little bit of gas? Do you have even one or two dollars? And so I, tired, frustrated, I went over. I just swiped the car. I said, go ahead and fill it up and just... Just go and, and get to your destination. The husband came out. He was crying and shook my hand, thanked me. Really, really nice young couple. And uh, I got back on the road going back to the interstate. And uh, all of a sudden, and, and God doesn't speak verbally, but I, all of a sudden conviction struck my heart. Here I was griping and complaining, Lord, why did you have me get off this exit of all exits? I got to drive so many miles to get to this diesel fuel, and then all of a sudden it was very clearly seen. There was there was a family that had to need. I love it when God brings people across your path. I have no doubt, no doubt in my mind. That those people would have still, or would have had a difficult time there, and that God sent me on that exit for that reason. And uh, we need to give as the Lord leads, as the Lord leads. And there's a great joy in that. I had to spend the rest of the trip saying, "Lord, I'm sorry." <laughs> Should have just been content with what you were doing, just trusting you. But uh had to kind of ask him forgiveness for the attitude I'd had before that. Uh, because God's ways are not our ways, folks. If we do everything the way we think is best, we are destined to make a mess of it. Let's, let's be sensitive to what God wants us to do. All right? I know I went way over, and I apologize for that. But uh, I think it's a critical lesson, something we need to be aware of. We'll start here probably about uh, seven or eight minutes. We'll get started as early as we can towards that 11 o'clock hour. Now let's go ahead and stand. We'll be dismissed in prayer. Father, we do pray that you'll bless the teaching of your word. Use it uh, to be a help to some folks. To be able to have joy 